Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. This episode of Mummy Republic is brought to you by Medela, Australia's leading breast pump innovator who are determined to make life just that little bit more comfortable and easier for breastfeeding mums and their families. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and I have something a little bit different for you today. But before we get stuck into it, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you do not miss a thing. And while you're over there, make sure that you rate and review the podcast so you can let other listeners know what they're in for. At the same time, if you're on Instagram, head on over to at Mummy Republic Podcast so that you can follow along all of the guests and all things motherhood. So I told you this week's episode would be a little bit different. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that there's a reason for that. And the reason is because I am the guest. Yes, it's incredibly weird being on the other side of the microphone. And to be honest with you, I did not like not being in control of the conversation, but I did it for a bigger purpose. I always talk about how there's so much strength in vulnerability and that people love storytelling because it makes them feel less alone. And that is exactly what I hope to do with my episode. I also have the incredible Michaela to thank for that, who definitely was twisting my arm along the way, telling me that it was important that I discuss this. And if you haven't heard of Michaela, then you should go back to season one and two and listen to her episodes entitled Life After Loss. Today, however, she'll be joining me as the host. This is an incredibly raw episode for me. I have not discussed our process in full prior to this day, and I did get a little bit emotional. Thankfully, a lot of the ugly crying Kim Kardashian style was done on the drive home, so I didn't have to subject Michaela to too much of that, but I do want to put a trigger warning on today's episode. We do touch on sensitive topics, including high-risk pregnancy and birth trauma. And although it's not something that we cover, there might be some words or some language used throughout the episode that may be sensitive to anybody who suffered an infant loss. All right, I'm going to stop delaying the inevitable. Let's get started. So welcome to the Mummy Republic podcast. You might not be familiar with my voice, but you may have seen my episodes Love After Loss Part 1 and 2. Today we have a very special episode which is actually featuring your host, Danielle. So let's get into it. (laughs) It's so bizarre being on the other side of the microphone. I don't like it. (laughs) So a while ago, this is obviously a very special episode that we're bringing Mm. today. So a while ago, we've had a conversation about how important it is to share your story and we're going to be doing that today with your story. 
Um, so you obviously haven't talked a lot about Archer since he was born. You documented pieces of his, pieces of his pregnancy, um, but you kept a lot of it private. Yeah, well, obviously, thank you for kind of pushing me to do this. Even when I was pregnant, you're like, you've got to do this and I'm going to be the interviewer, which is exactly probably what I needed. And it was about time I put my money where my mouth is. I get lots of beautiful people like you who come on and be so raw and tell their story. It was a hard decision to not share a lot um, when I was pregnant, especially for somebody who shares their life online. And I think when it all happened, I was just at a crossroads of, okay, well, I can either just delete my Instagram and completely, you know, figure this out on my own, or I can just stay guarded and keep it quiet, which I absolutely, anybody has the right to do just because you share your life online doesn't mean you have to. And it was more about protecting my own emotions, you know, as, and you can resonate with this, when you share your life online, people want to come along for the journey with you, which is amazing. But we were still, we were, it was so unknown for us that it was just so hard. We had to focus on managing our own emotions instead of everybody else's. And just to recap for anyone new here, it was about 19 weeks when you were pregnant and you found out. Um, something was happening with your little boy. So do you want to tell us about what happened there at your 19-week scan? Yeah, it's, everything was fine in my pregnancy. It was actually quite good in comparison to Peyton. I had morning sickness, bit of nausea, but nothing crazy. Um, he was doing well. We, we had a bit of a scare initially. They, when I first found out I was pregnant, they couldn't find the heartbeat. And then so we had to kind of go back. But at that point, that was the scariest thing that had happened. So we had 13-week scan. Everything was great. 19 weeks, we went in and they did the whole scan um, and everything was fantastic. And then we sort of got to the end and the lady said, I just want to revisit his jaw. And I thought, okay, that's that's weird. And she sort of zoomed in on his face and he had he sort of looked like a little frog, yeah. which, you know, babies are so weird when they're in the yeah. womb anyway. So like they do, literally. And I was like, oh, he's got yeah. you know, a weirdly shaped face, but that's okay. And... Anyway, then she said, I just, I'm just going to be back in a minute. I just want to sanity check something. And anyway, she went out and she came back in with um, the head specialist and they, they re-sort of scanned the area and I could just tell by the look on her face that something wasn't right. They were like, um, yeah, so there's there's an issue with his jaw. And I'm still thinking cosmetically, right? So is he going to you know, look a bit funny. I don't don't really understand. And then she said to me, um, he has what's called micronathia and that it's, it's a severe case. And what it is, is the construction of his jaw. His basically his jaw's not growing. And again, I was still thinking cosmetically, okay, so what does that mean? Like he has to get surgery. And she said, I can't confirm if your pregnancy is viable. And I just, <laughs> I just, tears just started flowing down my face. I was like, I don't understand. Like I, and Dan and I were both so confused and she said his jaw is so far back on his face that he doesn't have an airway and unless it grows, he's not going to be able to breathe. And I just still was in such shock because you hear all these things and and everything else was right you know I was holding my breath for the heart and the lungs and 
all of these things and I was just so confused and she said I don't know if it's a sign of something else or if he's just going to stop growing yeah and at this point like we were just still in shock and they they gave us the option to do some tests with them and we decided to get the test there which was an amniocentesis um and is that where they put the needle into your belly yeah yeah so big needle and it goes through and pierces the sac and uh, they basically draw out amniotic fluid um and Dan was watching the whole time and I, I still was quite confused. I said, okay, so this will just tell us if he's got a condition and, you know, sort of where we're at. And she said, oh, look, this will tell us if your baby's going to possibly not make it um, yeah. now or whether we have hope. And so we were just, yeah, completely broken. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, my work phone just kept ringing, 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 because that's just what it did all the time. I picked it up and I threw it across the room and I was like, I don't care about anything right now. Like, how do you go from everything being fine to it just not being fine? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a mess. I was a mess because obviously with an amnio, there's a risk as well that there can be miscarriage. And I think it just, I didn't really understand. I felt like this wasn't my story. Like this wasn't yeah. supposed to be our story. Yeah, yeah. So that was just the beginning. Well, when you're pregnant, you're filled with so much joy and excitement. So these yeah. scans are equally an exciting time seeing your baby seeing them move finding out the gender there's so much enjoyment around them and even though we know the 20 week scan is always a massive one for the development to actually receive um, information like that would have been quite heartbreaking and then the amnio going through that was there's about a two-week wait for results correct yeah so they give you they give you some results within a couple of days yeah. and we got a phone call to say that the baby didn't have Down syndrome and um, other sort of illnesses of that form and that was never a concern it was but it is something that they still test for yeah. because the problem with micronathia is that it's not common but it can be a sign of a lot of other illnesses so they yeah basically confirmed that that wasn't on the table and then it was two weeks until we found out and it was pretty much two weeks on the day we got a phone call in the afternoon for and they said to us we've ruled out the major genetic diseases yeah but we still can't guarantee that your baby's going to survive oh shit (laughs) (laughs) um and it's it was amazing news obviously but it was that relief then you you, hit with more you hit with more and it was okay we're going to you're going to be managed by maternal fetal medicine who are amazing. And I'll preposition that anything that I say in this audio, they were the most incredible people. I have such respect for them. There was some definitely some hard moments, but they're medical professionals and that's just what they have to do. But then it kind of all started from there. And I guess we didn't know what that was going to look like. Yeah. And how often did you have to go? Because I think on Instagram, we saw you there maybe every week. Yeah. At some point. Um. Yeah. So we were initially, um, so we went, we met with maternal fetal medicine and it was, we were sort of quite hopeful at that stage because we were like, okay, well, we've ruled out a lot of the other stuff. So now it's just what we just watched the door grow. Yeah. And we sat down um, with our 
specialist and he basically said we don't know if your son's going to survive we're probably not going to know the whole pregnancy we'll we'll get an indication and we'll try and see what we can and we'll hope for growth but it's going to be a bit of up and down and then he said to us you know you need to sit down and have a conversation as to whether you want to continue the pregnancy yeah and that was a really hard conversation for us it was never really a question it was of course we will but it was a really difficult thing to hear because he said you know we we don't know if it's going to be viable so you kind of need to consider if you want to take that chance and they have to do that of course because they were and they don't actually do abortions but they have to obviously have that responsibility to flag it as an option and that would have been really hard to hear from medical professionals that you really want them to instill that hope in you. Yeah. And here they are giving you an option yeah. of whether to keep your baby or terminate it at that point. And it was very much like, even if he's born, we don't know what that's going to look like. And so we went back and forth for a while. We, I was there um, every week to two weeks initially. Um, at this stage, it was still micronathia. I could feel him moving. So I knew that he was there but I didn't know if every week it was going to be as he's not growing or yeah. then it's affected other organs or whatever the case was um, we could never catch him swallowing so there was for a long time it was he's not going to be able to breathe so we yeah basically the plan at that point was we sort of had spoken about that they would operate and they would cut me open as planned cesarean. Yeah. Um, they would take his head out first while he was still inside of me. Yeah. And they would try and put a tracheostomy in his throat to help him breathe. Um, and then they would have to evaluate whether that was effective or not. For months, that was sort of what we'd expected that we'd go through this surgery. And I would obviously have to be under GA. So I'd go in and not know whether he was going to come out with me. And it's so weird to talk about this timeline because there's so many other little things that happen in between, but I'm not going to talk for five hours because nobody needs to hear it. And I'm trying to keep my shit together. (laughs) Dan was with me at every appointment. Um, So I actually had to stop work because he wasn't swallowing and he couldn't. So in the womb, the baby swallows amniotic fluid and then regurgitates it. So it sort of runs through. But when a baby can't swallow or breathe, it's quite risky to the mum. It's called polyhydramnios. Yeah. Um, and it basically means that you'll get an overflow of amniotic fluid, which can then impact your own organs. And yeah. um, I have other health issues. So it was basically, you know, you've got to rest, not do much and not put pressure on your body. I couldn't exercise or anything like that. Um, and everybody's different. Some people get on with it fine. But the hard thing with that was is that I had a lot of time to think. And I sort of disconnected a lot from my life because I was like, I don't want to lean into this pregnancy too much because what if they tell me tomorrow that he's gone yeah um so it was a really hard juggle really hard and for someone who's really social it was really difficult and it was again that fine balance on social media to go well this is what's happening but I don't want to share with you because I don't want to hear the bad stories I don't want to hear like all the horrible things I just kind of want to deal with this and even for the positive ones that come through yes that would equally be hard because you're still in such an unknown that you're like but what if that's not my outcome yes so you were almost 
protecting yourself from the good and the bad. Definitely. By just, you know, cooping up at home and leaning into yourself. Yeah. So at what point did you actually get the diagnosis of what he actually has? Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? As I said, Dan was with me every time we went to the hospital. Um, There was a lot of tests. I had to get a lot of blood tests all the time. We had a lot of scans to just sort of check on him. And obviously his growth was a concern too, not only his jaw, but in general, because, yeah, because they just weren't sure if there was something else underlying. Uh, And my girlfriend, Nicola, actually came to the hospital with me one week because we had our appointment changed and Dan had to work. And we went in and they did a scan and they said to us, it actually looks really good. Like his jaw's in a really good position. We think we saw some swallowing. We're in a really good place. Like I think we're actually going to be fine. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I obviously got really excited and I was, because I it was in disbelief and luckily she was there with me because I was like, you just heard what I heard, right? And she's like, yeah, this is amazing. And I said, so wait, what can we talk that we think he'll be able to breathe and he was like well it looks good the airway is opened it looks like there's some swallowing like and I I I was clutching to that and I'm like so what natural births on the table or you know vaginal birth or not having to have surgery on him and he's like yep and this is at 26 weeks and he goes we'll just get an MRI just to sanity check it but I think we're good we'll see you again in two weeks get the MRI we'll come back here and we'll talk about a plan and then we might just go to normal care and so I'm jumping up and down going this is the best thing ever and I was trying so hard not to get ahead of myself but I was like oh okay this is great why don't we take a breath and hear a little from our sponsor Medela has launched the improved Harmony Breast Hand Pump, the latest to join its full flex breast pump range. Harmony is fitted with the Personal Fit Flex Breast Shield, putting less pressure on your milk ducts than traditional breast shields and is clinically proven to give more comfort for mum and more milk for baby. At the same time, Medela has enhanced its ethically sourced Purulin Lanolin Cream, giving mums fast relief for sore nipples that's safe for bub and the environment. Medela determined to make life just that little more comfortable and easier for breastfeeding mums and their families. And then we had an MRI, which was quite intense because they were trying to obviously see the structure of inside of him. So I was stuck in there for a good hour and a half, which wasn't fun. And then, yeah, we went back to the hospital and my midwife who had been looking after us and she's an absolute angel. She came into the room and she said to us, have you got a support person for today no what we're I think we're just doing formal paperwork and she goes um we've got a couple of other people joining us today and I was like okay wives makes me cry (laughs) I feel like I can resonate with how hard that moment is yeah and you just I just I knew I just knew something was not okay and the head of neonatal came in and said to us so I understand that you're keeping this pregnancy and I just burst into tears and I said yeah because everything's fine now we're okay now I'm sorry I'm probably not (laughs) helping right now I'm crying and he said I have some news and I'm so sorry but it's not okay and it's a lot worse than we expected 
I just burst into tears like I couldn't stop crying and Dan was like what do you mean what do you mean and he said we've done the MRI and he his tongue because of the micronathia is blocking his airways completely so he can't breathe he's not going to be able to breathe on his own and not only that he has extensive palate damage no hard palate in his mouth he said I think we've ruled out cleft lip so we can't see any damage to his face but he has the palate damage and he's not going to be able to breathe on his own anyway so they said that he has suspected Pierre Robin sequence and essentially what it is is it's a combination of micronathia and cleft palate and basically his jaw although it was growing and it was growing it wasn't enough to open his airways so his tongue just rolls back and blocks it off yeah and so then we were sort of back at the point where we were like okay what does that mean and I sort of then went to weekly visits and we were just straight back to where we started not knowing what it was going to look like we didn't know if it was definitely Pierre Robin or if it was just still suspected and we didn't know if there was something else that we were going to see so yeah it was a really really difficult time started to heal myself from the initial shock of everything and I had a lot more hope and then for that to happen I just completely retreated as a person I just I had to you know take a break from Instagram not that that's an important thing but I just I couldn't I couldn't talk to anybody I couldn't deal with anything because yeah. I was like how can you be so wrong yeah. how can you tell yeah. me we're okay and then tell me that we're not yeah so yeah <laughs> gosh um <laughs> that's obviously such a hard thing to deal with it makes me emotional because I just I just can't imagine it like you you're dealing with this baby in your belly that's moving that you're feeling you're really hopeful for and then you're just getting knock after knock yeah and then obviously from there you guys were told you have to have a c-section yeah so we um we basically had so we had multiple teams now looking after us um we had cleft palate they have a special cleft team we had our um, neonatal and maternal fetal medicine teams then we also had ENT looking after us and then respiratory so I was at the hospital a lot again amazing like I cannot fault the care that we've got like we're so blessed here in Australia because there is no way that I could have afforded to have all the care that we had I don't even want to think about it and how many people were you told is going to be in the delivery room? So we, we didn't have our birth plan for a while because yeah. they were still concerned about his viability. So yeah. they were very positive and they didn't sit there and say, oh, we think he's not going to make it. So the scans went to weekly. And they kept trying to capture, you know, if he could swallow and what, you yeah. know, what all that looked like. So we didn't actually get our birth plan until it was about 33 three weeks Um, there was a possibility that I could have gone early because of polyhydramnios because of the amniotic fluid buildup so we sort of we were conscious of that but because there were so many people involved in this decision making process it took some time and we finally got to sit down one of the head midwives was like all right you guys need to sort your shit out like let's this baby could come at any time we just need to figure it out they did they gave me the option to potentially consider a induction, 
but because we knew we had to have a second surgery room set up, second theatre, sorry, set up next door for Archer because we didn't know the extent of what he would, what would happen. Yeah. They were like, if you choose to do that, we can't guarantee what the outcome's going to be. So we were very lucky that they took the GA off the table. They were comfortable enough that he could breathe or that they could get him to breathe without having to pull his head out first, do a tracheostomy. That would have been a huge relief. Massive. And I think that for me, and I, I, I'll preposition, I have absolutely nothing against C-sections at all. I think it, for me it was just more, I'd, I had no control. I had no control over anything and it just wasn't what I wanted. So we went with a planned C-section. There was my theatre and then his theatre we were going to have we were very lucky. We had the head, head of ENT, the head of respiratory. We had all the specialists. So there, we knew there was going to be at least 20 people yeah. in the room. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And we were very, very blessed that he waited patiently until 39 weeks and yeah, yeah was delivered on his scheduled date. <laughs> so, obviously, knowing that, hey, tomorrow is the day I'm having this baby. Yeah. When it comes to your C-section, do you want to talk about that? Were there any complications? Yeah. It's, what was um, that day like? I did a lot of work on trying to prepare myself mentally. I was seeing a psychologist at the time to help me process, I guess trying to get past the fear of today, the day I'm going to find out that he's not alive. And I just, that was really hard for me to deal with. You know, the hospital was amazing, but having that in the back of my head was a real struggle for me and it definitely affected me a lot. So I was seeing a psychologist, she was helping me sort of work towards the C-section. You wrote an amazing article on preparing for a (laughs) C-section and I read that a few times and so did Britt Noonan. She's written um, about C-sections and she has had planned C-sections as well. And I spoke to people about them and I know that they, you can turn them into a beautiful experience and that's what I was really determined to do. So I'd kind of gotten my head around that and I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be great. And I went in as positive as I could, but I think, yeah, I still just had a lot of trauma and from a medical perspective, my C-section went great. I didn't lose a massive amount of blood. Uh, We were very blessed that one of my friend's mums was actually um, arranged to be one of the midwives on the day. So she caught Archer when he was born, uh, which was so special. Um, And she was a, a really huge comfort for both of us. But the moment that they pulled him out, I just, I didn't get to actually... I saw him for two seconds. Um, they yeah. they were really conscious too of trying to give me that to make me know that he was okay. But they pulled him out and he wasn't breathing, and he was just blue. And then they just took him away, and I didn't hear anything. And I, all I could picture, my head just went to he's he's gone. And they took him next door and I was, it was kind of a blessing. The 20 people were next door. No one really gave a shit about me. They're like, oh, you'll be fine. And I had, you know, my, our, our family friend and another midwife sort of running in between and they kept coming back and they kept saying to me that he's on CPAP, got a machine on him, he's breathing, that they're going to try this. And I just... I thought you're like, you're not telling me, you're just telling me what I want to hear. 
And Dan was like, I, I heard him make a noise and I just couldn't get that picture out of my head. I, they were so wrong. They were so wrong. Like they told me it was fine last time and it wasn't fine. And I just didn't realize, I didn't expect it was going to hit me like that. Yeah. And I didn't expect to, because I'm, I'm such a person who's in control and yeah. I couldn't be in control of that. Yeah. We were very lucky. We were very, very, very lucky. Um, I had signed all the paperwork and everything for a tracheostomy. That was still very much on the table. Um, we knew that they would have to take him to the children's hospital if they had to do that. But they were able to get his nasopharyngeal tube down, which is what he's had for nine, eight months. Yeah. And they were able to get him to breathe with that and, you know, other bits and pieces. So from a medical perspective, it all went quite well. Um, yeah. From an emotional perspective, <laughs> I was a mess. Well, it would have been hard to be there on a table. Yeah. Your baby's just been taken out of you and you really aren't seeing, is he actually okay? Yeah. And you're also, like, getting sewn back up. Like, I just can't comprehend because I know when, you know, you birth a baby, all you want to do is hold them you believe yep. that you can make them better like they need their mum you know so that would have been really hard to just trust other people with definitely and I think that's not being able to touch your baby after you go through birth like it's the hardest thing and I know there's so many mums who do it you know there's yeah. so many mums who have to have emergency c-sections under GA and there's a lot of you know other people who do it and I I almost don't know what's worse. Like I don't know whether I, looking back on it, and I've since spoken to other PRS mums, um, some who knew and some who didn't know, and I, yeah, I genuinely don't know what's worse because, yes, you can sort of work towards it and you know you're going to feel those things, but nothing compares to the moment when you're in it. Yeah. So when were you able to see him? Um, they were amazing. They were so amazing. They they brought him back into theatre to show me that he was okay. I didn't get to touch him at that point. They um, just sort of did like a bit of show and tell and then wheeled him up to Niku. And I was in recovery for a while, obviously. Again, like, you know, they with the epidural, you have to get a certain amount of feeling back. Um, and, you know, my lovely midwife friend was milking me on the table, you know, because yeah. I, I really wanted to breastfeed and yeah. that was really important to me. So, yeah, so it was a good few hours. And then I I said to – I had we had done a NICU tour because we knew he'd be in intensive care. We didn't know – if he would have to go to the children's hospital and then come back. Um, But we knew that he'd be in the NICU. So they let us do a tour. We talked about what it would look like um, just to kind of get our heads around it beforehand. And I had said to a few of the girls, I was like, it's really important to me. I want to be able to touch my son. Yeah. And they said, (laughs) they were like, okay, we'll do everything that we can. It'll just depend on where he's at. And anyway, so probably hours later, they were able to actually wheel my bed down to Niku and I got to touch him, which was the most beautiful moment. Like it's incredible. But he, at that point, he was covered in cords and machines and his face was so tiny and had tubes and tapes and everything all over it that I just, it was, 
still quite surreal. And we went back up to the room and I think too with a C-section, like you, because they take all of the placenta and all the bits out of you, like they do an amazing job um, of sort of clearing everything out. I, I was just so sunken, like my stomach was just so flat and it clearly hadn't been in such a long time and Dan was allowed to go back down to check on him and I said can you please go down because I just I just have this feeling that something's not okay and I was lying there in this hospital room just remembering the all I could feel because you can't feel the pain of a c-section you can feel the pressure and all I just kept remembering is feeling him ripped out of me and then seeing his blue face (laughs) I'm trying to just say this as if it's not my story because it's easier that way but it's not really working for me and I I just kept thinking they were so wrong they were so wrong when we were pregnant they told me it was fine and it wasn't fine and I just didn't believe it like I, I just I thought he was gone and I think I've since been doing a lot of work on trying to work through those emotions and I think I just I processed that trauma because I wanted to be so prepared for that outcome that to make myself okay and I was just waiting for Dan to come back and tell me that no he, he was gone yeah and he wasn't he wasn't he was actually doing well but I knew I wasn't okay like I was not okay I I just couldn't think of anything I could all I could see was him with no breath and blue and I was like I just I can't get this out of my head yeah and so I said to the midwife this was at like 10 o'clock at night like 10 hours after he was born I said I need to go and see my son yeah she was like you can't walk you have a catheter (laughs) do you want some toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) um I said to her I was like I need to see my son and she goes you can't you can't walk it's not okay like you you're not in a state to get up you've got a catheter in and I said I need to see him like I have to and she's like that's why we let you have a touch like you need to rest it's been a big surgery we'll go and see him first thing in the morning I was like if you don't help me go I'll go myself (laughs) and she looked at Dan and Dan was kind of like can we just like can we not get a wheelchair or something and she's like you need to wait another hour I'll give you some more medication and then if you can get yourself out of bed you can go and I think she thought that that would deter me because I couldn't move and I was in so much pain because it was starting to wear off and I was like no I'm going so it was a bit of a mission but we got in a wheelchair and yeah so I went I got to go down to Niku and got to hold him mm-hmm. and it was I really needed that because I just didn't believe that he was actually okay you'd prepared yourself for everything bad to happen yeah so having these little milestones would have been a huge feeling of relief every time yeah and I think like it just yeah it, it hit me and I was just because Dan had been the same, like we'd just been holding our breath the whole time. Just not knowing every single week, like there's there's nothing worse. I mean, there is, there's plenty of things worse, but 
as a parent in that moment, it's that feeling of not knowing if it's just going to end. It's just so hard. Um, And I felt like we could both finally breathe because he was actually here and he was okay. And it just sort of felt like anything else was going to be a walk in the park in comparison. (laughs) So this was obviously the beginning of Niku life. So what did that kind of look like and how long did you guys spend in there? We were so lucky. Um, We had sort of prepared ourselves to... The nasopharyngeal tube was definitely an option and they were very hopeful that that would be the outcome. But I guess, again, we sort of prepared ourselves for the worst. We were thinking that he would need a tracheostomy. So we'd prepared ourselves that we would have to be in for a minimum of four weeks um, into NICU, which is intensive care, neonatal intensive care. And it was like, I just, man, I think you can't understand it unless you've gone through it. Like you can explain it to people, but... It's like a full-time job. The second you get up, you go and you you just sit with your baby. And it's a revolving door of specialists and people and constant check-ins and what they're doing and what, like, it's, it's incredibly intense. And it's very draining emotionally as well. We were in the hospital for five nights. We were really lucky that they kind of let us stay a little bit longer because he was there. And I was exclusively pumping at the time. So I was up every three hours doing that. And it's that's something that's really difficult to do without your baby as well. Yeah. And I just, yeah, kudos to any of the mums who have been through NICU because it's just so insane. Like it's yeah. just the weirdest experience. But again, we were so blessed. Like we were very well looked after. We had the most amazing specialists. We worked really hard to help him Um, because the problem is he can't suck he can't actually form a seal to suck so um, we did try breastfeeding like they everyone told me that he wouldn't it wouldn't work he was able to do it a little bit but he had a feeding tube for quite some time as well Um, so our main goal was to really try and get rid of that and find a way to feed him because with a breathing tube as well like it just there was just too many risks and even as a small baby, he was just covered in tubes all the time. And we just wanted to get rid of something. Yeah. So, yeah, we worked really hard on trying to get him fed and build him up and figure out if we could get around all of the things that were affecting him. And, yeah, we had amazing support. So we were very lucky that we got to go home just before four weeks. Yeah. Um, so we were pretty proud of that. <laughs> so well and then obviously going home you would have been nervous like you've gone from all these specialists being with you all the time to now it's all on you how did you adjust to home life and how did Peyton handle it all as well oh man I think the hardest thing I think with home life it was sort of in comparison so when you leave when you have to be discharged from the hospital and you leave your baby behind that's a whole nother level of hard like you never expect and as you know like you never expect to leave a hospital without your baby um and yes he was in great care but that was really hard you just want your child with you so when we did get to finally get home it was it was terrifying (laughs) because we had the support of the machines when we were in NICU as well as the people but the machines were the big thing for us because 
the thing was he couldn't actually survive more than a few minutes without his tube. Yeah. And so for us, we had to do a lot of training. We had to do training on nasopharyngeal tubes. We had to do initial training on his NGT, which was his feeding tube. Um, But we knew that if he ripped it out, at that stage, we were pretty much like, we have to be onto it. That was a lot of pressure on us because they had tried before we got home, before we went home to kind of figure out how long he would last. And they were very gentle in their approach to it. And they try not to scare you. But one of the respiratory specialists said, you you don't have time to get to the hospital. So you really need to be onto this. Like, And so we had to practice a number of times. So yeah, it was, terif- it was terrifying. But we actually came out of NICU right as COVID hit. Yeah. Um, which was a bit like we were in this bubble and I'm grateful that we were, but we came out and, you know, there was no toilet paper <laughs> and the world had kind of gone mad. And as we came out, we had to take Peyton out of school. School was basically finishing and initially we were like, okay, well, this will be, you know, school holidays and then she'll go back. But then we had nine weeks of isolation with a newborn who requires a lot of medical care and an eight-year-old who needed to be homeschooled. Yeah. And that was not a good time yeah that would have been <laughs> so tough it was hard for her we'd, we'd done a lot of work building up to her understanding that she would not be the center of attention and that it would yeah. be really hard because we we didn't tell her for a while when I was pregnant what was going on yeah. I mean and I think she, I briefly remember you mentioning this on Instagram too that you guys were choosing to not you know yeah. give her a lot of the details is yeah. there a reason you did that? We were so in limbo about what was going to happen that we didn't really know how to approach it without yeah. then feeling like we were trying to manage our own emotions and then yeah. to add hers into the mix wasn't something either of us could handle at that yeah. point in time. I mean, how do you tell an eight-year-old that we don't know if the baby in mummy's tummy is going to survive or not? Yeah. How do you have that conversation? So we did, we obviously, once we, we actually told her as soon as we had our birth plan, um, because we knew she'd have questions and we needed to have answers to those. Yeah. So she had an understanding and she knew, and then we like, we're very open with her from there about the whole situation. Um, so she'd sort of known that things were going to be different, but again, you throw COVID into the mix where she's not seeing anybody but me and my attentions with this little baby it was hard for her it was really hard it was hard for all of us yeah and speaking about hard for all of all of yous Mm. um you and Dan how did how did you go navigating like obviously women are so emotional and men kind of (laughs) close up and then it's like you need to release all this emotion how did he handle that and how did your relationship survive ultimately yeah do you know what I'm actually so surprised that it did um and I say that just because it was such a hectic time and we the ironically we have never been stronger and we weren't like we handled it so well and even when Archer was born like dealing with all of that like if if anything it brought us way closer together um I'm an incredibly emotive person he is not (laughs) So he spent a lot of his time 
trying to be strong for me. He would have moments, of course, where, and I'm, I'm a bit of a pusher in that sense. Like I'm like, tell me how you're feeling and, you know, yeah. you need to talk about it and yeah. really tried to drag it out of him. And he did at times, he'd sort of break down. But when Archer was finally here, he was, he let it all out. When we were in hospital and he could actually hold him, it's like he was finally, okay, we're, we're actually okay. Because yeah. I think for him, he just didn't know how to process it and it's his first child so yeah but we yeah he's the most amazing incredibly supportive partner like I could not have wished for anybody to else to go through this experience with he's so you're still getting married yes (laughs) (laughs) which is great even if delayed at the moment (laughs) funny COVID just wrecking everything but yes we're definitely still getting married and I just yeah, I'll never forget how amazing he was, was through that experience yeah. and is now. Like, he's an incredible father yeah. and it could have gone the other way. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. You've written your vows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um. I froth you. <laughs> so how old is Arch now and what does his level of care look like and his next steps? Yeah, so he is, what's today? He's, shit, nearly eight and a half months, (laughs) which is crazy. Um, So we're actually at an amazing point. It's perfect time for me to record this um, because I finally, I kind of get to end on a happy note. We have been trialing the removal of his tube for a week, um, which is huge. We've been working towards this for for a long time. Yeah. Um, We've got a sleep study coming up to make sure that we can actually get rid of it permanently. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we'd, we just need to be cautious that his oxygen levels are still at the, the level that they need to be. If the sleep study shows things that I guess are of a concern, we'll need to look at other steps. There is still a possibility he'll need jaw surgery. So it's a jaw distraction surgery where they break his jaw and put metal rods in to extend it. Yeah. And that's effectively to open up his airway. Um, he might still need that anyway from an ENT perspective. We still have um, a number of teams that manage us. We are now at the point where we're, apart from this month, because we've got a lot going on, we're at the hospital a lot. Yeah. But we've been able to have a, a little bit of a break. You know, there were six weeks where we didn't go at all. We worked really, really hard to be able to care for him at home. We were trained in suctioning him. We have our own equipment and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, his next steps for him is to find out if he needs jaw surgery. And if he doesn't, which hopefully he doesn't, we'll be getting his cleft palate surgery done in, at this stage, it'll be about February. So, yeah, we're very, very lucky that he has basically proved everybody wrong. He's succeeded a lot more than they thought and he's progressed a lot quicker than they thought so um, after his surgery basically we'll have we'll have ongoing speech pathology sort of consults and there may be other things that impact him down the track but for all intensive purposes he'll be a quote-unquote normal little boy which is incredible yeah that's so good to hear (laughs) yeah and for someone else that is currently going through a high-risk pregnancy do you have any words of advice for them yeah look I think um, my my first point of advice is to not google stay the hell away from google because it's gonna be the hardest thing for yeah them to not do <laughs> um and it's funny all of the specialists said that to me they were like don't 
don't Google. Um, and even now, I there's a Pierre Robin. So Pierre Robin's quite rare. There's not a lot of cases here in Australia. There's yeah. a support group, which I got referred to a lot. But it actually took me a while to, to join it because I think same with Googling, you need to focus on your own story and whatever, however that looks like. You know, for me, it was keeping that level of protection in not sharing our story with everyone. And whether that's, you know, not even with people on the internet, but even people I know that they were friends of ours that didn't know what was happening because there was never the right time to have that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's what you've got to just protect, like your own story and your own emotions and focus on you, not everybody else yeah and the people who will get annoyed about it are not people you should probably be talking to anyway yeah so very true Mm. and for the person listening that is currently trying to support someone through a high-risk pregnancy what advice would you give to them I think um and it depends obviously on the individual as to what kind of person they are but I think it's just space and patience you know give someone the space that they need because they're going through a lot don't take things personally. Um, for me, I very much retreated and I wanted to be by myself because I didn't want to talk about it and I wasn't ready to acknowledge my emotions. I would I would leave the house for maybe two hours max and then I'd be done. Like I was just so drained from that yeah. that I just wanted to go home. And it's hard because you try and find that balance between I want the distraction and I want to be happy, but not okay like I've got a lot going on so I think just being mindful of that balance I guess just giving them the space to tell you what they need when they need it um, instead of trying to just make things normal because they're not they're not normal yeah great advice and last but not least (laughs) me before mummy what is it that you do to reconnect with the old you before kids god I was thinking about this this morning I I am such a huge mum life balance advocate, but at the moment mine is shit. Like <laughs> it's been very hard because it's only been in the past couple of weeks that we've been able to leave Archer with somebody um, and it doesn't happen very often. So he's been with me or Dan for, you know, eight and a half months. Yeah. So I don't get a lot of me time. I, I love being with my friends and I love like we were sort of talking about off air, I'm in the process of reconnecting with me. I definitely lost myself because of this, but I think if I reflect, I'd been sort of losing myself for a while and not in motherhood, but just for things that weren't serving me. So I'm sort of spending time working on myself. I love to be creative. Social media is a great outlet for that for me now. Like I'm at the point now where i don't really care like I'm starting yeah. to oh you make some great <laughs> reels <laughs> my <TikToks>. poor children <laughs> I think that's the thing and I, I now like I've, I always held back a lot a lot of stuff or a lot of parts of me online because I'm so used to being professional in my industry that I didn't want to showcase that or like I'm very sarcastic I don't want that to come across the wrong way now I just don't really care and I love doing reels and I don't care if that makes me a 12 year old I think they're fun (laughs) so yeah just those little things like just trying to be happy and yeah that's a huge thing for me in the moment amazing thank you for sharing your story I think I've cried more times than my own story (laughs) 
I think I'll get in the car and then I, this is what I normally do. I record and I hold my shit together and then I edit and I bawl my eyes out. So I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. But thank you so much for interviewing me and for helping me tell my story. No, that's okay. (laughs) Thank you. Well, if you've stuck around for this long, thank you so much for listening to our story. I feel like it would be incredibly bizarre for me to sit here and debrief on my own discussion. But what I will say is that I took a lot out of this experience. As difficult as it is, it taught me a lot about perspective and appreciation. And I am so incredibly grateful for not only Archer, but my whole little family. There are things that happen to you in life that completely change everything, your perspective, your world, your whole belief system. And for me, this was one of those. And to be honest, that is one part that I'm very grateful for. The other part that I'm very grateful for is the level of care that we have here in Australia. We are incredibly blessed with all of the amazing specialists, nurses, and teams that look after Archer, not only through our pregnancy, but still to this day, and they will going forward. And I truly cannot thank them more for all of their hard work and effort. I don't even want to think about where we would be today if it wasn't for them. At the same time, I also want to give a shout out to any fellow medical mums, NICU mums, or anybody who's been through a difficult experience like this. Motherhood is hard enough. Putting this on top of it makes it even harder. I get it. I see you. I feel you. But don't forget that you are so much stronger than you know. If you would like to follow more of our journey, you can find me over on Instagram at Mummy Republic. And if you would like to find more of the wonderful Michaela who interviewed me, you can find her over on Instagram at, at Michaela. While you're over there, make sure that you check in to the Mummy Republic podcast and follow along for all guest information and all things motherhood. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.